Father, we thank you for the opportunities this week. We pray for the conversations that were happening at the booth, um, that uh, up at the fairgrounds, that those would bear fruit. Uh, we pray even that some of the people that were invited to church uh, would come this morning, oh Lord God, that that would be amazing. Nothing is impossible for you. Uh, Lord, we pray just for awareness um, as we go through our weeks to um, take cracks in conversations, the mention of something like heaven even, or just other things, and be able to speak of you boldly. And we pray that you would save uh, your people, oh Lord God, that uh, we would pray that we would see conversions, and we would pray that we would see more people baptized uh, into your church. Lord, we, we long for that. We, we long for it uh, for the, our joy, but for your joy and for the, the, just to, to see your, to, your glory displayed. Uh, bless this time this morning as we talk about your love, O oh Lord God. May it capture our, our hearts and may it warm our affections, and may it prepare us for the main gathering um, happening soon. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we are going to go ahead and transition out of talking about the Trinity. Obviously, we could probably spend way, way more time there, but we spent, a, we spent like 10 weeks um, just walking through uh, all, the, all that we went through with the Trinity. Uh, but what we want to do now is kind of transition um, to looking at some of the other of God's attributes. But what's good about this is now that we have set the framework um, of thinking about the Trinity and the three persons and their oneness and yet their threeness, uh, that gives us a huge framework to even think about God's attributes, his other attributes. We've talked about a couple of those. We've talked about God as creator. Uh, we've talked about God's eternality. Uh, but now we're going to come back to um, others and we're going to start with God is love or God's love today. Okay. So um, now, if, of all the attributes of God, like this is the one that probably in our society, at least people think of the most, which is dangerous, right? Because if you think about it the most, uh, it's most likely to be misunderstood, right? Like everyone's going to talk about God's love, but then there's liable to be a misunderstanding about what God's love is. Now, before we talk more about God's love, um, let's talk about just a general comment on God's attributes, when we think of God's attributes, these are things that are true of him uh, eternally. Of course, they're going to be exercised um, in creation, in redemptive history. But when we're walking through these, we want to think about these things that are, that are true of God eternally, like God's love. Uh, but we've got to be a little bit careful. Uh, it's not as if love exists or is a thing outside of God that like, has always existed and God just so happens to have it. Okay? We don't want to think about God's attributes like that, like, like God's love, right? Uh, it's not as if love exists as some concept or thing outside of who God is for eternity. Uh, what, God is self-determining, and he defines himself by that attribute. So when we talk about things like God's love or God's righteousness, it's not as though love or righteousness exists independent of God, and then he just so happens to have it. Rather, God's own self-existence and self-determination defines and grounds what those attributes actually are and in the right proportion. So we're going to talk about God's love. Well, you're going to look at God, and he says he's loving, and then he's going to define within himself and external to himself what love is. Right? So love itself, or things like righteousness or justice or anything else, is really defined by how God has it in himself and how he exercises it. Uh, so I just want to make that clear. So then let's, based on that, 
um, let's go ahead and start talking about God's love. So the way to do this is not to really define love and then look at God. It's actually the exact opposite. Let's look at God and see how he is loving, and that defines love. Does that make sense, the difference between those things? Right? Because love doesn't exist outside of who God is. In fact, if we want to understand love, it is defined by God himself. And so we look at God for a definition of love and understand how he is loving. Okay? Um, so let's do that. And where we're going to start is where we've kind of been, in a sense. Uh, we're going to start with intertrinitarian relationships. This docks nicely with what we've been talking about. So if we want to understand what love is in, uh, internal to who God is, we look at intertrinitarian relationships. So let's go ahead and start um, at Luke 3, uh, Luke 3, 21 and 22. And this is the baptism of Jesus, um, but let's go ahead and read it, uh, Luke, 20, Luke 3, 21 through 22. And when someone's got it, go ahead and read it. Okay, so what do we see here about intertrinitarian uh, love? What is happening in this text? Yeah, the Son is beloved to the Father. And how does the Father even express that? With pleasure, With pleasure right? So the Father loves the Son, and along with that is the Father's good pleasure. Like, he has pleasure. There's, there's a delight uh, in the Father's love in the Son. Uh, and, of course, we see, the, you know, we see the Father declaring this to the Son. We know, based on our study in the Trinity, the Son declares this back to the Father. It's facilitated and enabled by the Spirit, uh, the Father and the Son expressing that love. But, but, in particular, seeing that there's delight. There's delight in the Father's love of the Son. Um, so that's one thing we see. Okay, anything else before we jump to another passage? Again, we're just kind of highlighting scriptures to show, okay, what, is, what does love actually look like in God, in, in, his, in, in, in the interpersonal relationships of the persons of the Trinity? Sure, yeah. And that reflects what we argued is that eternal reality that the the Father eternally begets the Son by the Spirit, right? The Spirit is, has eternally facilitated and enabled that love between the Father and the Son. And you kind of see that reflected in a physical, tangible way uh, um, in the Son's incarnation at the baptism. Also verbally. Yeah, and verbally, right? It's a declaration. Uh, this is a verbal thing. Very good. All right, let's go ahead and go to John, right, uh, and see... Some of these things we've seen, and some of it's revisiting it, but we're focusing on that idea of love, okay? So let's look at uh, John 17, back to the prayer of Jesus to the Father at the end of his ministry or his earthly ministry um, before his crucifixion. Uh, someone go ahead and read uh, John 17, 24.
Okay, so what do we see about love here? How does this inform the understanding of love between the Father and Son? It's eternal, right, because it happened before the foundation of the world. Now, what did the Father do uh, because of that love? He glorified him, which means what? What does that mean for the Father to glorify the Son? What's that? Yeah, there's a, there's a presence there, right, for sure. And that presence is in eternity. You see that in John 1.1. 1, 1. Um, the idea of glorifying, it's the idea of ascribing honor, right? Ascribing weight, ascribing eminence. Uh, but here you see that that is a manifestation of the Father's love for the Son, is this giving of glory and eminence. And it's not just something that happened in the incarnation. If you flip back to the beginning, or you don't have to flip back, you just read a few verses earlier. Someone go ahead and read John 17, 1 through 5, and you get another glimpse of this same reality. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So you see that idea that the Father, it's not just that the Father is seeking the glory of the Son in and through his incarnational mission, which is true. But that, that glory has happened for all eternity, and um, it's because the Father loves the Son, right? And even at the added element here, what's eternal life? That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent, which is this whole idea we've been talking about for this series, right? Knowing God, right? So love has knowledge. Love has, uh, from the Father to the Son, is a desire to glorify the Son, to honor the Son, uh, to lift up the Son. Um, if you want to put it in those words. Um, so we've seen the father um, has pleasure in the son. The son, fa father knows the son. The father wants to uh, bring honor and glory and exaltation to the son. Um, but that's a man all of those things are manifestations of God's love. Okay, any questions or comments so far? Okay, let's see another. Uh, John 3.35. Okay, so what does this tell us about love? Yeah, it's giving, right? The father loves the son, and he's given everything into his hand. Like, the father d delights in the son, and he's happy to give him all things into his hand. Okay? Uh, let's go to John 5. John 5, 19 through 23. Oops. John 5, 19 through, 30, through 23, excuse me.
Okay, so I gave us a little bit more of the context, but in particular, focus on um, verse 20. What do we learn about love here? There's a, an, an open sharing. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, good. So there's open communication, and you see this idea, the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and then the idea is the son does likewise, right? So the father, uh, you see that in this passage. This, the father has life, he gives the son life, and the, uh, the son even shares that life with others. That The father judges, he gives judgment to the son, uh, and for what purpose? That all may honor the son as they honor the father, right? But what we see about that love then is the openness, the display. Uh, you know, if, if you think about the culture at this time, uh, the Jewish culture, uh, it was very common for a father would train this, his son in what he does in life, like his trade, right? Um, so my father is a mechanic. If we, if we were true to form to that pattern, he would have trained me to be a mechanic to mechanic, right? But what we see here is that reality between the father uh, uh, and showing, and in this, not real, so much training, but uh, showing the son, here's what I'm doing, now you do likewise. Um, and so, but that's an aspect of love, right? Communication, uh, impact, um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, giving things to the son to do likewise, right? Uh, there's this relationship, there's this sharing of, of work, okay? Um, questions, comments so far? We got the father's delight in the son. We got the father loving to glorify the son. The father giving things to the son. The um, father showing uh, everything that he's doing so that the son can do it likewise and receive honor. Okay, uh, let's go to John ten. Chris? Yeah, Ned. That's part of it. Yes. Yeah, it's a huge part of love, right? So if we think about defining what biblical love is, a huge component of that is going to be giving of yourself, right? But sometimes what we do, and we can kind of pause here and think about it, sometimes how, we, how love is being portrayed in Christian circles is that it's only giving of yourself. Like there's no necessarily emotional element to it. Uh, like love is a choice and not a feeling. But we see here, like going back to the first thing we saw, the father has delight in the son, and that's eternal delight. So even though there's a giving, that giving has an emotional aspect to it. Um, what you, you kind of see when you pile these passages up is that love is an emotion and an action. Like it all comes together, right? It has both elements um, to it and, and more. So good. Okay, John 10, um, 14 through 18. Again, I selected more of a, a chunk to give us some context. But uh, John 10, 14 through 18.
Okay, so what do we see? Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about the people that the Father has given him to redeem. But uh, what I don't want you to miss is what we're focusing on, the inner Trinitarian love that's displayed in this. So in particular, verse 17, what does Jesus say about uh, the Father's love? Yeah, the father loves his son because he is obedient. Now, let's pause for that for a second, right? Because that, you should be, feel a little uncomfortable. Why? Conditional. It's conditional, right? There is a conditional nature to God's love. There is also an unconditional part of God's love. But what we see here, at least in inter-Trinitarian love, is uh, because I am obedient, um, the father loves me. Um, now, does that encompass all of what it means for the Father to love the Son? No, but it does display part of it, um, that because the Son is obedient, the Father loves that. He loves him. Now, if you flip that around, and you can clearly see this um, in other places in John, um, say John 14.31 or 15.10, uh, the Son obeys because he loves the Father, right? So he loves the Father, so he obeys, and then the Father loves that obedience, and he loves the Son, uh, but that is something that we keep in mind. In fact, elsewhere it says in John that, um, uh, in fact, let's go and go there. Go to, I think it is John 15, 10. Just flip over a few pages. John 15, 10. So we'll go ahead and read John 15, 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples. You see how this works, right? Um, Jesus keeps the Father's commandments, and there is an active abiding in the Father's love in consequence of that obedience. Uh, and he says, well, that's the same thing with you. You obey to abide in my love. Not in the sense that like, that's the totality of what it means for the Son to love his people. Right? The Son loves his people before they love him and before they obey him. That is very clear from Scripture. But there's also this element that once we are brought into union with Christ, just like the Son has this union, this eternal union with the Father, and he delights in the Father, so he obeys, and the Father delights in that obedience, so we, uh, we obey the Son because we love him, and the Son delights in our obedience. Uh, it's part of that love relationship. Um, so we see kind of part of that, we can use the term conditional um, uh, uh, Love, not in the sense that it's ultimately grounded in a conditionality, but in the sense of an ongoing dynamic of love between father and son. Okay, questions on that? Just to make sense of that, I want to make sure, because uh, that's, that's a little, like you read those statements, it's like, wait a minute, is he earning his love? No, um, but there is a dynamic of the father being pleased with the son's obedience. Okay, any questions on that? Mm-hmm. We were in 10, 14 through 18, that kind of that chunk. Absolutely. So you're actually going to see a 
Okay. And then he says, only to take us up again. Yeah. Now there's the exception. Mm -hmm. We can certainly lay down our lives, but we can't take it up again. Mm -hmm. So there's something about the relationship between the son and the father where the father can imbue that life so that he can take it up. And then he stands on that. Mm -hmm. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This Mm -hmm. I received from my father. Mm -hmm. So it's something he has received. It's not just love. Mm -hmm. It's this command he has received to give him authority to take his life. Mm -hmm. And the life only comes from the father. So now love is a whole different expression. Mm -hmm. It's a tighter relationship with that life. Mm -hmm. And I think that John then goes on in the next 15, 15, mm -hmm. and Jesus is kind of sort of passing that on. Yes. Us, yes. And that's what we need to understand. By focusing on the foundation of the inter-Trinitarian love, it grounds uh, our love, well, the, the Father and the Son's love for us, and then our return love. Uh, it's exemplary in that sense. Um, but what you see here is that idea, uh, there's a charge, a command that the Father gave to the Son and an authority and a life. Uh, and then uh, the, the Son's like, yeah, I'm going to do it because I delight in the Father and then the father delights in the son's obedience as he does that, right? It's, um, it's, it's all of that package coming together. So, okay, um, so there's this idea of the father loves obedience. Uh, the father loves obedience in the son. Um, so that's kind of uh, at least a snapshot. There's more passages we could go to of the inter-Trinitarian love. And you can even remember what we did when we were talking about the Trinity we said this, right, that the, the Father eternally begets the Son by the Holy Spirit. The Father eternally loves the Son, uh, causes his person, uh, and even shares the divine nature through that eternal begetting. The Son eternally loves the Father. The Spirit enables this eternal love between the Father and the Son. So we've talked about that before, right? That is inter-Trinitarian love and fellowship, Okay. So that is at least God's love amongst, it's the tr Trinity's love amongst the persons, okay? Any questions on that? Because what we're going to do next is we're going to change gears to the, the Father's love and the Son's love for his creatures, okay? Ned? In this concept, love and trust, I guess. Yeah. Trust is a process of love. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, and that's exactly right. The idea of trust, and you actually see that explicitly um, in. Uh, think Hebrews and first Peter where it talks about how the son entrusts like as he's as he's heading into and through the crucifixion and resurrection um, it says it talks about how Christ entrusted himself to him who judges justly I want to say that's in first Peter I just can't remember the explicit reference right now but but that the son is in entrusting himself to the father why because of the eternal love relationship um, that, that's going on. So yeah, trust is another aspect to all of this. Uh, okay, now let's talk, any other questions before we talk about God's love in relationship to his creatures?
Okay, so let's talk about that. Um, and so kind of what we're doing is I'm, I'm selecting passages. First we start with the Trinity. Now we're kind of starting with, okay, God's love for his creatures to portray what does God's love mean? Like, how do we characterize that? And we've done that inside the Trinity, and now we're kind of doing it with things external to the Trinity. Uh, so go to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, and 5.43 through 48. Someone go ahead and read Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Okay, so what do we learn about God's love here towards his creatures? This is where we learn it's unconditional. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, so this is more the unconditional side of things because who is God loving in this case? The, the just and the unjust, right? The evil and the good. He's loving the evil and the good here, right? How is he loving them? Provision. Yeah, daily provision, right? So... Common grace, yeah. Common grace, daily provision. God shows that to all of his creatures. Um, he shows that to humans, all humans. God has a certain love for all humans, right? And a certain sort of, to use Rachel's words, this is kind of the unconditional part where, um, like, God's giving this graciously. Like, um, uh, he's giving rain uh, and provision. Uh, he didn't have to do that. Even the mere act of our ability to exist. Um, Paul talks about in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being, right? The, even the just sheer ability to exist, um, to have life at all, to have any sort of consciousness is from God. And he shows that to all of his, his, his creatures, right? And particularly, um, meaning his um, humans, right? And, uh, but you do see uh, there's a love towards enemies, that a love that disciples are to emulate, right? Uh, it's, not, it's not the same sort of love. Like, God has different types of love for different people and objects, right? But we still learn something about God's love um, from, from this section. Any questions, comments on that? Uh, one thing, uh, what is it... So, we learn, we learn a little bit of, like, what does it mean to love your enemies, right? So, we already talked about God's care on provision um, to his enemies, uh, and uh, what in relation to uh, what the disciples are supposed to do, how are they supposed to love their enemies? Pray for them, pray for them right? Pray for their benefit, um, pray for their good, uh, and what's best for them, right? So that's, that's another element of love in general that we see here, okay? 
Uh, let's do, uh, now let's, let's so that's kind of like God's love in general, right? God has a certain love for all humanity uh, and that he gives, he provides to the good and to the evil. Now let's direct our attention to God's love for his, his people, the chosen people that he has chosen before the foundation of the world. Um, so let's go to Romans 5. Um, Romans 5, 6 through... Eight. Someone go ahead and read that. Okay, so what do we learn about God's love here? Preemptive. preemptive. Very good. That's a that's a lovely word to describe what's going on here. Yeah, preemptive. Uh, because why? In what sense is it preemptive? Yeah, while we're still sinners. So while we're still in the state state of being counted, uh, really, while we're still under God's wrath, um, God loved His people uh, such that Christ died for them. In fact, what's interesting here is when it says, you know, 5.8 is a familiar verse, that verb there, show, it's, it's, uh, it has this idea of it, it's, he's showing it now and in a continual way, right? So God demonstrates his love today to me in the fact that he loved me before, when I was yet a sinner, right? That's how I know God loves me today because he loved me when I was, while I was still a sinner. It's preemptive in that sense. Uh, I'm not good. None of us are good. Uh, we're all pretty filthy, rotten people, uh, rebels against a holy God, and yet he preemptively loved and set his love on his people. Now, if you tie this in with John, right, and what we've seen in John 10 and even John 17, we know that that love is grounded between intertrinitarian love. The Father uh, has chosen a people, and he gives that people to the Son to give life to those people. The Son dies and redeems for that people. Um, propitiates the Father's wrath against that people, uh, provides for um, a righteous standing for that people. And then the Spirit, from John 3, we know this, the Spirit regenerates that people, actually allows them to have faith and repentance such that they can enjoy that righteous standing in God's eyes. Right? So the ground of this whole love that God shows towards a people, it's, it's, an inner, it's grounded in inner Trinitarian love. Okay. Uh, let's go see some more. First John three one. First John three one. Uh, let's actually do three one through three. First John three one through three. So how is the Father's love demonstrated to 
his people in this case? Adoption. Yeah, adoption, right? He calls them children. He, um, the way John would describe it is you've been born of God. You've been born of God, and that is an aspect of the Father's love. Um, and, and it is an amazing sort of love. Uh, so we see that from the Father to his, his uh, adopted children. Uh, skip down to verse 16 in the same chapter. What does it say? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So how, who's, who's, who's laying down the life here? Jesus, right? So the son is laying down life, but this is demonstrating love, right? So what do we learn about love here? It's sacrificial, right? There is, there, and we saw that back in John 10, too, right? The son has a mission from the father. The son lays down a lo- his life. But here we see the aspect of the son's laying down his life because he loves his people, right? So the father loves uh, uh, the chosen, uh, the elect. The son loves the elect. Um, and we see that, that display. And we see it in the fact that the son became incarnate to die, to live a perfect life, and to die in place of his people for their sins. Uh, Go to chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Okay, so what do we see about God's love here? Sure, yeah, right? So God is love, and if you're claiming to know God, you better have love, because otherwise it's, you're, a living con- you're a professing contradiction, right? Um, that's, that's what's going on there. What, what do we see about God's love, though, here? How does it manifest? In knowledge of him. What, sorry, Susan? Yeah, so the sending. So that what? So that we can live, right? A sharing, a giving of life. It happens through the propitiatory work of the Son on the cross. Uh, it talks about not that we have loved first. So this is back to the preemptive idea, right? It's not that we've loved first. God has loved us first, and that's why all of this has happened. Rachel, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just noticing a, a kind of a theme of self-revelation. Um, and yeah. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And, and back when you were looking in uh, 3.1, I was kind of uh, noticing the same thing, or not one. Um, I lost it all of a sudden. Anyway, it, it was talking about how yeah. Um, and so, to me, I mean, you know, when I think about a relationship person to person, um, the more I know that person, the deeper the love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and if I don't know them at all, then there's, 
Right, right. And that is part of all of this. I mean, we kind of even talked about that at the very beginning of this whole series, right? The idea of a relational knowing, right? Um, that really is finding its expression a lot. That's why we want to know more about God, is so that we can know him more and love him more and deepen that love. And But that that that... That happens only because he has loved us first and he has sacrificed so that we can have that knowledge, so that we can have that life, uh, so that we can have that fellowship. That's uh, even how First John starts. We have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. So there's that fellowship aspect of love, that, um, that re- revelation aspect and also fellowship aspect of love. Okay? So uh, we've seen um, God's love for it, within himself, and then his love for his creatures generally, and then his love for his people specifically. And that's what you have to understand, is that God loves different people differently. Um, he loves his enemies, like those who he's going to eternally damn. He loves them, but in a very different way than he loves his people that he gives to the Son to redeem, right? Uh, both are love, both, but they're different. Um, and one is very particular and exclusive. God's love is exclusive, exclusive in the sense to his people in a very particular way. So if we we're going to kind of end based on what we, what we have seen from these passages this morning, if we we're going to describe God's love, we could, we could do it in a series of statements. Kind of hard, actually, to encapsulate all, like if we we're going to try to define God's love is, right? It'd be kind of hard to do that. But probably the most helpful thing is just to list a number of statements, right? God's love takes pleasure in the beloved. God's love takes pleasure in the beloved. We see that with the father to the son. He does that with his people too. There's a pleasure. Even in the case of an enemy, you could kind of, it's like that pleasure uh, takes the form of longing, right? There's a longing for the father that they might repent. Uh, Not that... Uh, those whom are not of the elect are going to repent, but there's still a longing and even a, a benevolence uh, towards them. Um, but in general, we would say God's love takes pleasure in the beloved. God has delight. Uh, in, there's delight in his love. It's not, sometimes we kind of uh, sterilize God's love. It's like, um, well, yeah, God is love. And, but, but when we really start to think, no, God takes delight in his people. God takes his del- God delights in me, not because I'm good, but because I am joined to Christ, uh, and and, uh, and through the lens of Christ, He is happy uh, with even my obedience, uh, not because my obedience is perfect. It's kind of like as Alina's growing up, right? I'm, we're like we're really excited when she like turns over, right? It's a very small thing in the the grand scheme of things, right? But like when we obey. God sees us through the lens of Christ, and he's delighted like, um, about those things. Okay? Uh, God's love gives to the beloved, even at great sacrifice and cost. Right? There's this element, I think maybe it was Bruce that said it earlier, right? that, um, that uh, th- there's a giving element to love. And a giving that can be very sacrificial, uh, in fact has been sacrificial on the part of uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Uh, God's love works for the best of the beloved. So even in the case of God's enemies, right, especially when we have been enemies, right, uh, what God does preemptively in loving uh, and 
orchestrating and uh, even the benevolence and the, the grace towards that um, enemy. Uh, it's working for the best of the beloved, right? Uh, towards their, their best and their greatest interest. Okay? God's love has fellowship with the beloved. Uh, with enemies, there's not fellowship. But again, we can kind of go back to that idea of God de- doesn't desire for the wicked to um, not repent. Like he wants them to repent. Uh, he wants that fellowship. Um, so there is, but we, even in the inner Trinitarian um, sense and with believers, there's fellowship, there's communion, there's knowledge, mutual knowledge and knowing and loving. Uh, and then God's love delights in obedience, even as the beloved obeys out of love, right? So we saw that with Christ. Christ delights to obey the Father, and the Father is pleased with the obedience. Um, so there is an aspect that obedience does please. Um, the Father. It is, it is, we were just talking about that, right? So, God's love takes pleasure in the beloved. God's love gives to the beloved. God's love works for the best of the beloved. Uh, God's love has fellowship with the beloved. God's love delights in obedience of the beloved, even as the beloved obeys. So, um, that's kind of uh, the basic description of God's love. Now, what other questions or comments do you have as we close? Yes, Bruce. Yes. Yes. Now, that is a strange thought, but it is true. Uh, Here's how you encapsulate it. This is from uh, an author who wrote a book called The Rule of Love. The author is Jonathan Lehman. And he said it this way, love is a judgment. And what does that mean? Love, by its nature, shows a preference, a choice, uh, an exclusivity. Now, obviously, we talked about that God has a, a, gener- uh, a general love towards his creatures, um, those whom he's created and brought into existence. There's a, there's a general benevolence there. But when we start talking about God's people, he is making a judgment, right? He is saying, these are my people, and I have set my love on them. Uh, there's a determination to do that and a delight to do that. Um, and that love is exclusive. It... Uh, and the exclusivity uh, gets manifested as judgment, right? Now, there is culpability on those who... Everyone starts in the realm of judgment, right? You've got to understand that, right? We are all unlovely people starting out. We are all... Uh, there is nothing in us that God would naturally, in that sense, uh, love. There's no, like, oh, that's just ugly. <laughs> like, we all start ugly uh, because of our sin and our rebellion. Uh, but God chooses to set his love on some. He makes a determination, um, and uh, the rest uh, are subject to judgment because we all started there. We all started subject to God's judgment. But there's an exclusivity on uh, God's love for his people, and rightfully so. Um, so you're right, spot on, Bruce, is that even in God's judgment, that is an expression of God's love. God's love for his people. Uh, and that's what you have to understand. That's why um, when we think about when God, you, you know, pe- here's how people go very sideways with God's love, right? People say, well, God is loving, so he couldn't possibly do this, or he couldn't possibly do that. Well, it's like, well, you're starting with a predefinition of what you think love is, and then you're reinterpreting scripture to make it match your preconception of love. 
But that's why we started the way we did is there's nothing outside of who God is that's like, oh, God has to conform to that. God is who he is. He's self-determining, and he displays what love actually looks like. Hence, going through the passages and then ending with the definition. We didn't start with the definition and then run through passages. We started with passages and then ended with a description uh, because that describes what God's love actually means. Um, and that's, that's how we need to think about it. So, yes, uh, Eden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of where you, you're going to see God's attributes intersect with one another, right? Because God's love, it's not just that God is love or ha- is loving. He is also just. He is right. He is, he loves what is true. Um, so you see that all of God's attributes inform one another. Right? Um, they, it's not that they counterbalance one another per se, it's that they inform one another, they intersect one f- with one another. Um, and that's what we see with God's love. So really, when we're look- what we've looked at today, we're just kind of focusing on one aspect without, but as we go through these other attributes, we're going to say, oh, but, but that God holds his attribute of love with his attribute of righteousness together at the same time. Um, and we need to understand that. So, Good. Other questions as we close out today? So as we enter the gathering this morning, I mean, just think about that, that the Father loves you. Uh, again, I'll just emphasize, it's not as if the Father is just grumpy and angry, and the Son kind of has to smooth the Father over uh, to make him happy with you. The Father loves you if you are in Christ, and the Son loves you, and the Spirit loves you, and they've worked through redemptive history to this day to bring you together to be a people. Right? Which, again, this is why we value the gathering of people, because it's not just God loves a person or persons. He loves a people that comes together, that loves one another to display that inner Trinitarian love. So think on those things as we enter the gathering today. Let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you yourself love us. What an amazing reality, hard to even grasp or comprehend. Oh, Lord God, please forgive us for trivializing your love. Uh, Forgive us for when we think of it only as sloppy sentimentality or enablement. Lord God, your love is holy. Your love is just. Your love is good. You want what's best, what is righteous, what is perfect for the beloved. We thank you that you have loved your son eternally. We thank you that, Spirit, you have... You have facilitated, enabled, inter-Trinitarian love for all eternity. We thank you that, Spirit, you dwell in us, giving the spirit of adoption so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we want to do that this morning. Prepare our hearts for the gathering. May you be pleased in your people, even as we know we have our faults still. We are feeble, and we're still growing. Lord, be blessed, be, be delighted, even in our, um, our, our, our childish attempts in some ways, uh, with with how to worship you and how to honor you. But we, we know that you are pleased. We know that you're pleased through Christ. And we just thank you. Oh, Father, please help us to proclaim the gospel. Um, g- r- remove from, from us any cowardice, oh, Lord God, that we might just proclaim your love uh, as awesome to those around us. And we pray that you would save your people. We know that you will. 
and we want to see it, O oh Lord God. So we just pray these things and ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen.